going to start a new study in the book of Colossians today. We are done with First and Second Samuel, and as promised, we will be in the book of Colossians. And uh, the verses I'm going to read to you are verses 1 through 2. So we'll, we'll start there, and then I'll get into the introduction of the sermon. Um, it says here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. That is the simple word of God this morning. Amen. And I say simple just for the fact that it's two, uh, two verses that we are covering. Um, the theme in the uh, first and second Samuel was the eternal king of glory. And that's what we presented to you. And that's what we focused on in our preaching. Uh, we saw that it was the Lord who won the battles. It was the Lord who saved the people. He was the one who conquered the land. He's the one who built the kingdom, and he's the one who ruled the nation justly. Uh, yes, he had vessels uh, in Samuel and Saul and David and, and, and many more, uh, but we saw how those vessels fell short of, of being the true eternal king of glory, and God had to save the day all the time, and he was the only one who stood flawless. Uh, human institutions failed every time, and it was God alone who remained perfect and holy. Nothing has changed since then. God is still perfect and holy. We as humans, we fail God. Uh, but there is grace available for us, there is repentance, and there is restoration. That is also what we saw in the book of First uh, and Second Samuels. So, ultimately, we see that God was the King of kings and Lord of lords. So why go through Colossians now? Well, first of all, I, I want to go from First and Second Samuel to Colossians because I, I tell Pastor Laramie this, that, that our goal is to be dynamic in our preaching. Now, when I use the term dynamic, it could be used in a couple of ways, several ways actually, but in context of what I'm speaking about, Yes, we want to be dynamic in the presentation of God's word. I, I want to pour everything out here. I, 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 when I leave the pulpit, I want to make sure that I've, that I've given everything I can to deliver God's message, if, whatever that takes. Um, and so in that way, I want the sermon to be dynamic. I, I just don't want to be reading a piece of paper to you or just delivering a message that's, that's void of emotion or anything else. That's one way to look at dynamic, but the other way is we want to be dynamic in our preaching in that we're not preaching the same thing over and over and over again. First and second Samuel, that, that's considered a historical narrative. So that's telling a story. When you preach through first and second Samuel, there's a certain way you do that. And you'll notice when, I, when we were preaching through first and second Samuel, sometimes we preached through a whole chapter. We could be 50 verses. And, and, and we had to go through and exegete that and, and, and teach that to you. Well, our very first sermon in Colossians is two verses, and it's, but it's the same process. We go through, exegete that, and teach that to you. Believe it or not, sometimes it's easier to preach, preach on 50 verses than it is two verses, and then vice versa. It just depends on what you're looking at, how things are going, and, and, and it depends on a lot of things. And, but, but through it all, we're dependent on the Spirit of God to preach whatever text we are preaching on. So... We want to be dynamic in our preaching. We want to move from historical narrative, narrative to an epistle. Uh, we want to change it up just so that you see 
different parts of the Bible, and you're exposed to different types of writing. That's our goal as well. But it's not the only reason why we do it. The, the reason why um, I, I picked the book of Colossians is because of, of the focus of that book. It, it, the focus is in Christ alone. That's what we're going to focus on while we go through the book of Colossians. And there's so many uh, great subjects um, in the book of Colossians that are beneficial for us as believers. First of all, as today and then next week and then even the week after that, we're going to look at the foundations of the believer's life. Um, then after that, it's the preeminent Christ. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about that and, and Christ and his ministry. Then we're going to talk about our ministry to the church. And then we're going to talk about some false teachings that we need to be looking out for even today. And then at the end of Colossians, which is four chapters, we're going to look at Christ at the center of all life. So that's how we've broken down this book. And each of these categories has several sermons under it. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do through the preaching of, of, of this book. I think we're, it's going to benefit us greatly. Um, today, today I, I want to teach on uh, the pillars of a Christian life, and, and this goes back to the foundations of a believer's life. If you've ever lived in a house that had foundation problems, um, which we did, our very first home that we bought, uh, we, we bought it knowing that that was going to be an issue going down the road. Uh, we were just so happy to have a home that we could afford and get into, and, and, and we, we bought it, and, and we loved the house, but one thing we noticed right away are some cracks that started showing up, uh, different places, door jams, you know, doors were getting stuck, uh, a lot of different things to where we were like, okay, well, we're starting to have a problem. And we ended up having a bigger problem than we ever thought we would. We had to put pillars all around the outside of the house, and then we actually had to have people come dig holes in the concrete floor and put pillars in the middle, too. We had to raise the whole house. And so... <clears throat> Now, after having gone through all that, I have a habit of the house that we live in now, I'm always checking, right? I'm always checking the foundation. I'm always making sure, like, are we going to have any, any problems? Is there anything I need to prepare for ahead of time? Thank God in the five and a half years or a little over five years that we lived in this house, no foundation problems. Well, I'll tell you what, as Christians, we never have problems with the foundation, right? We, we do not. And I'm not talking about this church building. I'm talking about the foundation of our lives. We, we never have problems with that. But we do, as Christians, need to go back to the foundation. We need to go back to these doctrines that a lot of times are, are called simple doctrines. They're easy to understand. Well, if you study them out, they're not so easy to understand, and they're not so simple either. Just because we hear them all the time doesn't mean that they're, that, that, that they're antiquated or, 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 or they're useless. These are the foundational things. We need to hear them. We need to go back to them. We need to be reminded of them. This is what makes us strong. If we do not have the foundation strong, and if we don't, if, if we don't know it, then the rest of our lives, the rest of our knowledge, our wisdom, it's on shaky ground, right? So we want to make sure that we go back to the foundations and understand what they are. Well, today we're going to talk about the will of God. We're going to talk about sainthood. And then we're also going to talk about brother and sisterhood, because those three doctrines are found in the first two verses of Colossians, of Colossians chapter one. So that's why I say sometimes, you know, two verses are a lot harder to preach on than than 55. 
Hopefully that's not the case today. So the first thing I, I want to mention to you from this verse, if you look at verse 1, it's an introduction from Paul. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And then he says, and Timothy, our brother. So he's basically starting off this letter with greetings, greetings from Paul. Then he gives his title, an apostle of Christ, uh, our apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And then he says, and Timothy, meaning Timothy is alongside here. Maybe Timothy's the one who's actually writing the letter. So when you look at this, uh, first of all, Paul's relationship with the church, theologians and historians believe that Paul actually never visited the church. I think that's really interesting. Uh, although he wanted to visit, this was not a place he was allowed to visit by the Holy Spirit. Um, he did hear of the issues they were having from the church's pastor. Uh, we see his name come up later. Epaphras was the church's pastor. Uh, the church's pastor, Epaphras, ends up in prison with Paul in, in Rome, where it's documented in Acts chapter 28. So somehow, uh, it's not known if he's actually in prison there with him. It sounds like he is. Um, there are some who believe he was visiting Paul in prison, but uh, just from what Paul says in this letter, it sounds like Epaphras was there uh, with him, in prison with him. Now, there, the pastor tells Paul, and, and they, they know each other. They know each other, and he tells Paul that the church in Colossae was struggling against false teachings, and they needed help. Well, Paul was their appointed apostle. Now, he was appointed by the Lord, and the reason why he was their appointed apostle was because years before, Epaphras had heard Paul preach, and he actually was his disciple. He stayed there and he studied under Paul for a while. And then after that, he left Paul, went back home to Colossae, and started this church. So even though Paul did not have um, a, a direct relationship in the sense that he, he had visited these people and he had spent time with these people like, like he did in, in Ephesus, he knew these people. He knew them and he was informed of them through Epaphras, who was the pastor of the church. So the greeting that Paul gives here, number one, a lot of Paul's greetings are just theologically rich. And, and sometimes we just, we just like gloss right over them because it's, it's the greeting to a letter. Sometimes it's just like, okay, here are the, uh, the, the formalities and then we get to the, to, to the good stuff. Well, Paul's uh, greetings are theologically rich and, Col and the, this greeting here in Colossians is no different. And they often point to the will of God. And here... Paul teaches about the will of God, but he teaches about the will of God as it relates to someone's spiritual calling or, or spiritual vocation. And he's very specific to be talking about his own spiritual calling or vocation when he mentions the will of God. He identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, that's a very important title, and we have to consider what an apostle was from a biblical aspect. An apostle was someone who witnessed the resurrection of Christ. That was Paul. He was one who was, um, I forget the exact terminology he used. I think he was untimely born, I think he says. Uh, meaning that he was not with the original apostles who, who were first disciples and then they were apostles after Jesus resurrected. His 
birth into apostleship took place on the road to Damascus as he was persecuting the church. Jesus, he, he revealed himself to Paul in a physical form. The Bible says that Paul was the only one who could see him. Uh, everyone else saw a bright light and, 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 and they heard a noise, but Paul was the only one who could see him. And Christ presented himself in his resurrected body to the apostle Paul. Not only that, but after he was called and humbled and he went from persecuting the church to being the apostle of the church, he spent two years alone, isolated. And theologians believe that in those two years, he was taught everything that the disciples were taught. Um, and and he, was, he was considered one of the apostles. So yes, he does fit the requirement of having to witness the resurrection of Christ. Also, an apostle from a biblical aspect was chosen by the Holy Spirit. These apostles didn't sit there and say, give me the title of an apostle. I'm an apostle now. Uh, no, they were chosen by the Holy Spirit. It was a special office and a special gifting. No one was gifted like them. And, and so Paul is chosen by God. In fact, Paul, his, his choosing or God's selecting of him was, was amazing because you know, with these other apostles, they were doing something in the field and God came and called them, come, follow me, be fishers of men, come, follow me. And they dropped everything and followed Jesus. With Paul, Paul was actually fighting against the Lord. He was persecuting the church and he thought he was doing God's work. In the middle of that, he met this, this force that he could not defeat. In fact, this force that brought him to his knees. And at that time, at that time, he realized that there was, yes, there was a God, which Paul believed in a God, but he realized that God had a son and Jesus Christ was his name. And it was there that it changed his life. So, yes, he was chosen by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, uh, Jesus said in, in, in a vision uh, to Ananias, was it? I think in a vision to Ananias that Paul, Paul must suffer greatly for the name. He must suffer greatly for the church that he once persecuted. So we can see his selecting by the Holy Spirit. Another uh, requirement of an apostle was that they perform signs and wonders. And we read uh, through the book of Acts and we read in other situations where Paul had no problem doing that because of the work of God in him. An apostle taught and was sent out by Christ as Christ's ambassador. They were the leaders of the church. The apostles' teachings now are foundational to our Christian faith. When we go back to the epistles, that's who is, that's who is teaching us, right? I mean, ultimately it's God, but it's God through these vessels, through these men. So they laid out the foundation of Christian doctrine for us. And, and, but they themselves are not what the church lies on. We know that church lies on Christ, who is the cornerstone. Everything is on Christ and Christ alone. But God has used these men, uh, the, these men who have flaws, who, have, who had sin and have sin. Uh, he used them uh, to build his church, and it's a wonderful blessing that we have them. With the foundation already, having, having already been built, we believe that the office of apostle is now closed. In other words, there are no more apostles walking around, at least genuine ones. There's not anyone any more genuine apostles walking around. You have two offices in the church. We understand them as pastor and deacon. Those are the two offices that we recognize in the church. Now, 
I want you to notice something. I, I wanted to give you all that up front just so that you can know that there go, there's a lot that goes into Paul saying, I'm an apostle. Uh, there, there, there's a lot there. And for the church, you're understanding, or I want to help you understand how the church is receiving this letter. They have a pastor already, but Paul is saying, I'm not your pastor. I'm an apostle of Christ, or I'm an apostle of Christ. Uh, Paul was an apostle, but then Timothy was with him. Timothy was not an apostle. Timothy was a servant of Paul. He was a helper of Paul. Timothy was also known as a pastor to the church, and at least they, historians believe that he was a pastor of the church in Ephesus, for sure there. Um, in other places, uh, there, there's, there's some people who think one way or another. But Timothy was, was a pastor, but not an apostle. But look at this. Paul was an apostle. Timothy was not by the will of God. See, both of these men were called by the work or by God to the work of the ministry. And they were called specifically in the capacity that they served. God has that ability and he has that right to do that. Uh, like an army commander has a right and ability to build his forces. We saw David do that in the book of First uh, and Second Samuel. He built his, his, his forces so they became this strong army. Um, he built them according to his own wisdom. That means he selected certain men. Uh, he called them into specific service and he gave them specific orders. And they were to do their job. That's what they were to do. It was very simple. I think a lot of times we complicate things. Just do your job, right? That's what we are called. Just do that and everything will be okay. But the problem is, is that we not only worry about our job, we worry about the job of others. In fact, sometimes we worry about the job of others more than we do our own job. Now, God does that exact thing with his church today. And, and by Paul's simple words here, we get a glimpse of, of God's calling, his equipping, and placing into service. I want to borrow from another passage out of the book of Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 4. And, and this describes how God puts all these people together and all these, these gifts together. He says this in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a great text for what we're talking about today. That gives you what God did and why he did it. God has called people to service, to ministry. Why? Not for the promoting of themselves, but for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the whole reasoning why we do what we do. It is the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What does that tell you? Our work is never done. It's not. It's not done until the Lord comes back for us. Our work continues in some capacity. One way or another, we must continue to minister to his church. That is the will of God. We all minister in different ways because we're called to different things. 
but we are to do it for the glory of God. We are to do it for the betterment of the church. And in the process of doing that, we should see spiritual growth. We should see people uh, growing spiritually, coming together, being unified. We should see that if we are doing that correctly. If we are doing that incorrectly, then we're going to see the church kind of limp along a little bit. There's going to be growth, but it's just going to be slow going. There's going to be unity, but it's going to be mixed with disunity. Um, we are the ones who are responsible for the wrong that goes, goes on in our churches. We are. Not, not the Lord, obviously. So that's why it requires us to humble ourselves, to accept the calling God has given us, and to work in that calling with all of our hearts, mind, and soul. See, God is in the still, he's still in the business of building his true church according to his will. He calls and equips pastors and deacons and teachers and missionaries and evangelists and, and an array of other servants to minister to his church. It, it's so many other people. I know this is a small example, but just look around you. Look at this stuff for VBS. It, you realize how many people it took and how many hours to, to do something like this. And then if you go down the hall, you see all those decorations, but that's not even the beginning of it. There has to be people who plan everything, who organize everything, get everything together. And then we haven't even started. Then here comes the long week, right, of, of, of teaching, of, of pouring yourself out. And the people who volunteer, everybody has another job. Everybody does. It's, it, it, you, you come here and... and, and and you've worked your job for your family, and now it's like, okay, now we have to work this job. And it's not just about, it's not for the kids. It's for the building up of the church. There is something special going on here this week that goes far beyond what we can see with our eyes. We are planting seeds in these children with the hope that one day these seeds we have planted, the Lord will cause to grow. And that these kids that we are teaching, it doesn't matter if they're here at this church or somewhere else, as long as they are counted along or amongst God's elect, as long as they are counted amongst his people, that's what we should care about. So I, I tell you what, this is the challenge for those who are, are working this VBS, and this goes to me too. When you get here and you're already tired of your workday, you remember that this is also part of your ministry. This is part of your work. In fact, I would say the work you are doing here is more impactful than the work you were doing at your job. Because we're talking about souls here, right? So I challenge you to, the moment you start to think about how tired you are or how much you don't want to be here or where you wish you would just be on your couch chilling out and, and, and just, just vegging out, I challenge you to remind yourself of why you were created, why you were called, and why God has equipped you with the gifts that you have. It is to build up his church. And those little kids walking around are part of that. We have to remember that. And that goes for everything. When we don't have people fulfilling their God-given roles, then we limp along. We need everybody at their stations working for the greater good of the church and for the glory of God. Now, the beautiful will of God has given you, number one, a conviction 
Number two, he has given you the ability to serve in this specific capacity that he he is calling you in. You are to do what you have been called. In other words, you are to do your job. You are to do what you have been gifted to do out of reverence for Christ. Don't expect for me or anybody else to tell you how great of a job you are doing. You are not doing it for that. You are doing it for the Lord. Now, if you do get a good job from us, then praise God, hallelujah, that's great. But you are seeking the pleasure of the Lord. You are pleasing the Lord in what you do. If I preach just to get a, that's a great sermon, pastor, or you're such a great pastor. If I preach for that reason, then I have preached in vain. The reason I preach, again, goes back to the building up of the body of Christ. It has to be for that. But I do appreciate your compliments. They, they, are, they come in handy sometimes because sometimes you feel like you're just running up against the wall. And, 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 and so it does encourage us. But we know how to take that compliment and we know how to hold it in our hearts, knowing that it is God who is doing the work through us. So, I say all that just to say this very simple phrase. You are called to the capacity you are called to. You are called to the ministry you are called to. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Amen? You don't get to be that person. You don't get to be that person. God has called you, has created you to be who you are, to do what you do. You're unique. You are special in that sense. And the church of God appreciates when you are working and thriving with the rest of the body. I know for the majority of my youth, I sought out my life's purpose, and I I did so many different things trying to find that something that gave me fulfillment. I I was one of those kids that just, I I, I wanted my life to mean something, even when I wasn't a Christian. I just wanted my life to mean something. Well, I became a Christian, and God started working on me then, but still I was seeking what I needed to do. What was my life's purpose? Well, I finally found the fulfillment I was looking for. But it wasn't where I thought it would be, or it wasn't where I thought I would find it. The funny thing about our purpose is that our purpose and our fulfillment, it is not found in what we do. Because that's what I thought. I'm going to do this. Uh, This is okay, but then there's this, this, and this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I kept on changing my mind. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I found that my life's fulfillment and purpose was not in what I did, but rather in who I did it for. That's where my purpose was found. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, so I can do anything as long as it praises, glorifies the God who created me. Then I can do that. And that has allowed me to be able to do things I don't want to do. It has. Sometimes you just don't want to do them. But you know your purpose and your fulfillment is not in what you do. And what you do is a task. I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul, in some of his writings, he gets pretty specific as to everything he had to endure. 
I'm pretty sure he had some thoughts of, why do I have to do this? Or really, I don't want to do this. But he knew. He knew he was called to the office of apostle. It doesn't matter if he was called to the office of pastor or anything else within the church. I'm confident Paul would have done it to the best of his ability. So we don't get to call, get, we don't get to choose what we get called into, but whatever it is, that is our life's purpose. I talk about ministry and I talk about vocation. Not that I should separate the two because your whole life is ministry. But I, I, I speak to those two things separately so that we can understand. The reason why you work your job is not so that you can get the ultimate fulfillment in life out of your vocation. The reason why you work at your vocation is to provide for your family. Simple, right? The reason why you provide for your family is because that's what God has ordained you to do. That glorifies God. You're like, Pastor, but you don't understand. I hate my job. I feel you. I've hated plenty of my jobs before. I get it. I get it. But you know what? It's okay. You are not being fulfilled by what you do. That is a simple task. The greater good is who you are doing it for. And how much greater is a task that you don't want to do, but yet you continue in it? How much greater is that? than doing something that you just completely love to do. I think if there's, there's a beautiful testimony to those who are struggling along in whatever, vocation, relationship, they're struggling along, but they continue to do it out of reverence for Christ. That speaks volumes. That speaks to maturity. That speaks to someone humbling themselves before the Lord. That's a beautiful sight. And that's what we are called to do. See, the beautiful will of God has called and equipped you for the work of ministry. You are to do it to the best of your ability for the glory of God. Now, the second thing we see in this text is Paul referring to the believers with two different designations. The first one is the saints in Christ. Now, the title saint means someone who is dedicated are set apart uh, to God, specifically to God, by being made holy and sacred for him. That's what it means by the word saint here in the Bible. Now, the fact that we as Christians are made holy and sacred, that's very important for us to realize. Because the gospel teaches that we are born with indwelling sin, meaning that we are completely corrupted, we are corrupted to our very core. When we are born to become a saint, we have to be made holy by God. It is not by us at all. It has to be made by God. And we are made holy by grace through faith in Christ. It is in Christ alone. His blood cleanses us from our sins. And also, he sets us apart for God. Listen to this out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, you may proclaim the excellency of him, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. 
but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you ever wonder why God has chosen you and set you apart to be his? I hope you have, because that's something that we all need to think about. But when we think about it, it's an overwhelming thought. Why me? And not only that, but why me in this capacity? Well, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is verses 26 through 29. Paul says here, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That, that, that's us. We sit there and wonder, why, God? Why did you call me? Because we were weak, pitiful, and poor. And because he lavished us with his grace and mercy. He chose us out of his own good nature. There was nothing in us that required him to choose us or, or, or that even turn his direction our way. It was simply out of his good pleasure. Borrowing Paul's words, once you, were, you weren't a saint, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's our response to that? That's the answer we have. To, that's the question we have to answer. What is your response to that? Shouldn't it be all out worship to God for the good he has done for you? Shouldn't it be that? Isn't that alone a reason enough to serve the Lord with everything that you have? Shouldn't it be a life of service and gratitude towards him and his church? It's really simple. We make it complicated. A lot of time we walk around uh, feeling defeated. Why? Because we forget that we are saints of the Most High. We forget about that. And, and I don't mean that in a sense of like the way some people use that nowadays to really promote themselves and build up pride within themselves. Some people use that designation saints or kings and queens and to, to really promote themselves and say, oh, look at me, I'm something special. No, we are not. We are saints. We were made saints. We were sinners who were made saints. All glory goes to God, not to us. We are no better than the person who knows, who doesn't know Christ. The only difference between them and us is a regenerated heart and, and grace and mercy that was poured out on us so that we can know God. That's it. It is the spirit of God who works in us. It is the spirit of God who sanctifies us. He does all of that. To be a saint is a lowly calling, but at the same time, it is a calling that none of us could ever imagine we would have. It is a calling that we should never, ever forget about. 
or that something we should, we, sh we should never forget to appreciate. We are the Lord's beloved. We are his saints. We are his people. And that's very important for us to remember, especially with the things that we go through in this life. Now, the last thing, he says to them at the church of Colossae, he says this, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, that's the second designation. Paul makes uh, to the recipients of this letter. He calls them faithful brothers in Christ. Now, the plural form of this signifies that he is addressing both men and women, brothers and sisters. It points to all those who were made in the image of God and those who were set apart for his service. So it points to the saints, in other words. But this is a special designation here. There is a distinct difference in the two designations that, designations that Paul uses and that he gives to the believers in this church. The title saint pointed to their connection with God. It pointed to the fact that they are God's children. He is theirs, and they are his. They are a people for his own possession. You are a saint, he says. Then on the other side, he says, you are also brothers and sisters of God, or he uses faithful brothers of God. Now, the title faithful brothers, it points to their connection with one another. Isn't that cool? Saints, you belong to God. Brothers and sisters, you belong to each other. Both of them are there. I think that's awesome. By the will of God, I'm an apostle. I got my bro here. His name is Timothy. He does whatever I tell him to do. He doesn't care what I call him. He just wants to serve the Lord. To you who are saints, who belong to the Lord, and also to you who are brothers and sisters, who belong to each other, grace and peace to you. That's exactly, man, I hope I'm sure. I didn't know, I didn't even check beforehand. I had my hand raised. But, but, but that's who we are. We are saints because we belong to God. We are brothers and sisters because we belong to one another. It's a beautiful introduction. It's a beautiful opening to this church to show them the unification that they have in Christ. Now, the application of both of these points, they are both of these designations, they point to the fact that we should love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, because we're saints, and that we should love our brothers as ourselves, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. The old saying is, you don't get to pick the family that you're born into. That is true. Some of us wish we could, but you cannot. I tell my kids that all the time. You were born into this family. You get what you get. You don't throw a fit. You were born into the family you were born into. You have been chosen and brought to the spiritual family that you are, that, that you are a part of. While you didn't get to choose so much in the sense that God, you chose your path, but God directed your steps, it doesn't mean it happened by chance. Nothing in your life happens by chance. It is by providence. It is by the providence of God. That's how he rules his creation. 
throughout the years of ministry here at CBC, I've seen many people come through these doors for many different reasons. And the one thing I've learned is that no one, no one comes through here or comes through these doors by chance. It is all by the beautiful will of God. If it's for a short season or for a significant amount of time, the people who walk through these doors are led by the Holy Spirit. So we are not only family, we are not only friends, we are not only co-workers, because all those things exist, all those relationships exist within our church body here. We are not only these things. According to Paul, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That should mean something. In fact, that should mean a lot. I hear that not all churches use these titles. There are people who have come from different churches, and it takes them a little bit to get used to being called brother or sister. They say, man, that's just antiquated. Our people just don't use that term anymore. Um, you guys are a little bit different. Well, to tell you the truth, I, when I came to the saving knowledge of Christ, it was in, within a Baptist church, and obviously I stayed within the faith. And uh, the three churches that I have been member, a member of, we've always called each other brother and sister. It's just, it's just natural. Not only is it natural, but it's biblical. Because we have a special spiritual connection. And I think us calling each other brother and sisters remind us of that connection. They remind us of this spiritual relationship we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. How we are supposed to work for the good of each other. How we are supposed to grow and be unified in all the things that we have to do. So yes, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be working for the good of each other to the glory of God. John 13, verses 34 to 35 say this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you, all, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In closing, we are saints in Christ. Therefore, we are brothers and sisters of each other. God himself has brought us together for the work of ministry. My prayer is that we all line up, we roll up our sleeves, and we get to work. We do life together, not just Sunday mornings together. But somehow, some way, we do life together. We, we help one another. We, we try our very best to stay unified. We do not give the devil a foothold. We continue in our work not for our own good, not for our own glory, but for the building up of the church. That's going to take humility. That's going to take sacrifice. But that's what we have been called to do in the capacity that we have been gifted for. I want to leave you with Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I want to use the plural form here because it says, I... But we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray.